Today's reading comes from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hates us, to show the mercy promised to our Father and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve with him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days, And you, child, will be called to the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Who is God and what is God like? Typical stock theological answers we get from adults, younger people. They're taught that God is eternal, not mortal. God is spirit, not physical. God is omniscient or all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent everywhere. While these typical answers are are biblically accurate, you know, it, they can be a bit dry and impersonal. They can come across as flat and cerebral, like the Aristotelian notion that God is thought-thinking itself, in other words, the consummate contemplator, or the deist idea that God is the prime mover, the distant force way back there in a galaxy long, long time ago and far away that got everything moving. Omniscience, omnipotence, these sorts of terms are helpful, but they're, they're not biblical terms. Right? The Bible gives us many vivid views of God's nature and character, and these depictions come through accounts of God's thoughts, words, and actions. We don't get very far in Scripture before we learn about God's majesty and love by how he wills everything into being and into utter goodness by the mere utterance of his voice. Genesis 1 tells us just about everything we're going to need to know about God by what he wills and says. But we come across depictions of God also by means of images. For instance, Psalm 23 calls God a shepherd. And while you probably don't know, everybody in Israel knew, shepherds were to protect and provide for the flock. And God, in particular, delivers from the shadow of death and brings the flock to the waters of life. Each divine deed, speech, idea, and metaphor reveals to us who God is and what God is like. In today's text, in Luke 1, we get another three-dimensional view of God. The Benedictus, uh, as it's called based on the first word of this text in Latin, 
Uh, The Benedictus is Zechariah's song in response to God's wonderful work that he sees right before him. Uh, It's the second of three songs in Luke chapters 1 and 2 where we hear about the annunciations or the divine foretellings of the birth of John and Jesus and then also hear about their births. And it's, you'll notice you know, as you read through this that John and Jesus are intertwined. The last prophet of the Old Covenant being John, preparing the way for the prophet of the New Covenant being Jesus. Now, where we dive into this text, Zechariah has been made mute by the angel Gabriel after he doubted the angel's annunciation that he and his wife would, in their old age, and you've got to hear echoes of Abraham and Sarah here, In their old age, they would finally conceive and bear a son. Once John was born, Zechariah's mouth was opened up, and what comes out is a song of praise, a blessing to God. In a nutshell, Zechariah praises God for his work of salvation, that's part A, you might say, and then prophesies that John will prepare people for the arrival of the Lord and the salvation that he brings to them in the forgiveness of God of their sins. And the middle of this song contains the central point. Uh, Just as a side note, whenever you're reading Hebrew poetry, it's good to dive into the middle um, because that's where the nutshell is and everything around it uh, folds into that. So when we look at this, the central section, we see that what Zechariah says is that God remembers his covenant the oath that he swore to Abraham. The rest of the song revolves around this, the salvation that God wrought before and brings now entirely rests on God remembering his covenant. Zechariah characterizes God as a rememberer. I'm not going to look that up in the dictionary. It's probably not there. But here it is. God is a rememberer. God not only makes gracious promises to redeem humanity from sin and death and then bless them with life, God also recalls and acts upon those promises. God's remembrance is not so much of an intellectual surprise for us. You know, go figure. God's omniscient. Well, of course God's going to remember. It's, it's, that's not the marvelous thing. It's that God wills himself to be faithful and fulfill his promises to give us life despite our wickedness, despite our doubt, despite our infidelity and destructiveness. Now, even when Zechariah was mute, he proclaimed the truth about God in this way because Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers, the Lord remembers. So it's not necessarily surprising that Zechariah would make this the central point. Now, maybe this depiction of God sounds a bit weak and pale. Oh, so what? God remembers. That's not really an impressive divine power. You know, sure, it's better than the powers we have because we regularly forget, but it's not totally awesome. I mean, we've got the Internet to help us remember everything, you know, Wikipedia being a, a demigod in that cosmos. So, you know, here we need to really understand what the verb to remember means biblically and in its ancient context. Context, ancient wise first. So in the polytheistic world of ancient Israel, it was common to think of the gods as being extremely powerful, but dreadfully unreliable. For instance, rain would be sent by the god who controls thunder, lightning, and storm clouds. He's a god for everything. 
But rain might not come for weeks or months or years if the God controlling the rain forgets to send it. The deity might have gone on a cosmic journey, got lost in wonder, or just plain got lost, uh, and in distraction and distress forgot to send the fresh waters down that the land and animals and people need to survive and thrive. The result, of course, would be drought, famine, and death. The forgetful God was a regular fear. The forgetful God was fatal. A biblical example of this comes in 1 Kings 18. After three years of drought, um, the prophet uh, Elisha taunts the prophets of Baal. Now, Baal is this Canaanite rain god. Uh, Elisha taunts the prophets of Baal when they implore Baal to send rain, but they get no response. Elisha mocks them with their own theology. He says, cry aloud, for Baal is a god. Either he was musing or he is relieving himself, if you know what I mean. Or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Baal is just like an unreliable human. He's preoccupied, forgotten to send rain, and he must be shaken out of it with shouting. Maybe you should cut yourselves too and give his attention, which they do. Having this in mind helps us to understand how praising God for remembering is really significant. Zechariah tells us that God does not forget us, but remembers to graciously deliver us from death and bless us with life. And this point comes to life when we see God's remembrance in action. And the first place we see this explicitly in Scripture where it says God remembers is in Genesis 8. Um, God recalls his covenantal promise to Noah and his family to deliver them from the flood that God would send that would wipe out the wickedness that covered the world. And in the midst of this deluge, you know, when Noah and his family are on the ark being tossed to and fro, God recalls and faithfully acts upon his gracious promise to spare Noah and his family. And at the end, God blesses them and charges them with echoes of Genesis 1, right, to be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth again with life. Another place where we see God remembering is in Exodus chapters 2 and 6. God's people are enslaved and helpless victims of genocide in Egypt. Hearing his people's cry for deliverance, God remembers the covenantal promise that he made to Abraham earlier. God promised to bless Abraham, to bless those who bless him, and to bless all nations through him. God also promised to give Abraham countless descendants and a bountiful land to live in with each other and with God. These promises uh, were threatened to undo extinction by what the king of Egypt was doing to the Hebrew people. In remembering his promises, God delivers his people from Egypt and then brings them into abundant life in the promised land. The first two books of scripture have these vivid portrayals of God's remembering and what that does and deliverance from death to bring to life. And these two examples just scrape the surface. There are some 75 passages in the Old Testament where God remembers. And so, you know, on a literary level, we can say, well, this is a recurring theme that helps us interpret the character of God in ancient Israelite literature. And that's true. But we've got to take it much further than that, Right? that what this is is God's special revelation to us, that this is God's word about himself shared with you so that you would have faith and not doubt, so that you would praise him instead of being mute, 
so that you would have peace in life instead of shuddering in the fear under the shadow of death. God made many covenantal promises to his people, and they include things like uh, blessings to all nations through Abraham, forgiving people's sins so that they are graciously delivered from death unto life, and creating a new, ha- a new heart, a new nature within people so that they are no longer afflicted by and inflict others with evil. God has vowed to heal our broken lives, to give us peace, to mend our torn relationships with each other and with God. That God remembers these promises is what we need to hear. It assures us that God has not and will never forget us, leaving us in the gloom of sin and the darkness of death. God remembers our desperation and need, knowing that we cannot overcome it and satisfy it ourselves at all. God remembers and faithfully acts to secure our welfare now and forever. And Zechariah, in today's passage, saw God's remembrance in action. He saw the advent of Jesus, the coming fulfillment of all God's promises. He witnessed the dawning of the world Savior, the one who dispels the shadow of death, and gives us our peace, fills our souls with fearless faith, and opens our mouths, like Zechariah, to sing God's praises. The praise of, blessed be the Lord, for he has remembered his holy covenant. Amen.